Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Everybody, welcome to Your Cyber Path. Uh, this is a podcast that's focused on helping you either get your first cybersecurity job or your next cybersecurity job. We just want to make sure that you have the best possible cybersecurity career that you, that you can. I'm Kip Boyle. I'm here with Jason Dion once again. And we have a guest today. His name is James Azar. He's the CTO of AP4 Group. And we're going to have a wonderful conversation about passwordless authentication. But before we do that, uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we, uh, about a month ago, released our one of our newest courses, it's called Irresistible, and I just wanted to invite Jason to say a couple of words about this course. I, I know I'm super excited about it. Go for it, Jason. Yeah, so uh, Irresistible is actually something we created uh, based on feedback from our audience and our students. Uh, one of the things we had done over the last two years was we had a mastermind group and coaching program uh, called Hired that we were doing with a lot of students, um, but it was it was kind of price um uh, price was, uh, restricted, high, I guess. Well, it was high touch. <laughs> it, was, it was very high touch. It required a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Kip and me. Um, and the information was awesome in it, but it precluded a lot of students that wanted to be able to access it from accessing it because we had to charge quite a bit of money uh, because yeah. it required a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Kip and I. And as you know, cybersecurity experts and consultants, we make quite a bit of money if we're doing consulting. And so for every hour we're doing with you was an hour we couldn't do consulting. And we were trying to figure out a way that we can bring the same information to you at a very price uh, affordable way so it wasn't restrictive. Yeah. And so what we did was we took all the information that we learned of working with those students over the last two years, and we put it into a self-paced course that is video on demand that you can get over at Udemy. Uh, you can find that at uh, deontraining.com slash Udemy to get the link there. Or if you go to yourcyberpath.com slash irresistible, uh, you can also get a direct link there that'll take you over there. Uh, the course sells anywhere usually from 10 to $20 on sale on Udemy. Um, and so it's a really low cost way for you to get this information. And as we go through that, we talk all about resumes, negotiations, hiring, firing, applicant tracking systems, certifications and degrees and all that stuff. It's about a six hour course that really dives deep. And if you follow along with the course, you'll be able to write your resume the way you need to. You'll be able to find jobs the way you need to. And you'll be able to get through this hiring process. And the reason it's called irresistible is because we want to make you irresistible to cybersecurity hiring managers. Yep. And so uh, if you were uh, bummed out that you couldn't get in hired before because we had a very limited number of students who were allowed to go through because it was a high-touch program or it was too expensive before, this is something you definitely want to check out. It will really help you. And as a listener to the podcast, it really goes in-depth in a lot of the things that we cover through the podcast oh, yeah. in a very formalized way, as opposed to having to go through 100 episodes of our podcast uh, at you know an hour each. You're able to go through this course in about six hours that is very tailored, very actionable, and walks you exactly through what you need to do to write your resume, do your interviews, right. and do your negotiations. And you know, what we found when over those two years when we were working one-on-one -on -one with so many people is that, yeah, there's a lot of people who are trying to break into cybersecurity, of course. And we've got lots of information to help you, whether you're you know, freshly graduated or whether you know, you've been working five or 10 years in a different career and now you want to cross over. But it's also good for people who've been in the uh, career field. Let's say, let's say you've been in for 10 years, you've been working in the same place, and now all of a sudden you, know, you got uh, victimized by a layoff or you just, you know, you're tired of this place, you need to go someplace else. You haven't been doing job search for a decade and everything's changed. So yep. you need to get caught up. Otherwise, you're going to struggle and you're going to be this massively talented, highly experienced person who gets frustrated because you can't land a job because you don't understand how to be irresistible today. And so that'll help. So this course will help you as well. So there you go. Yep. Uh, so we hope you try it and we'd love to hear your feedback about it. Please tell us what you think. And uh, so, OK, thank you. I just wanted to talk about that for a moment. So we've got a wonderful guest here today. James is our hi, James. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks I'm, for being I think here. I'm tempted to go take the class now. <laughs> I may want to also be irresistible. <laughs> we'll get and you listen, access. Don't worry, James. We got you covered. <laughs> and, and if you're a hiring manager and you want to know like how to better find people in your hiring queue, you should take the course as well, right? Because that'll help kind of like tune your sensors as to you know who you should be looking for. Anyway, so James, here's my unknown secret. I, I I may post a job, but I typically look for recommendations. <laughs> that we talk about that in the course. That the best right. possible way to get a job is by having somebody put your resume into the hands of the hiring manager, somebody that they know, like and trust. So that's that's like the best possible 
situation. Okay, but we're here to talk about passwordless authentication. James, please take a moment and introduce yourself so that everybody knows who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, so um, what I do today is I'm the CTO, CSO for a company called AP4 Group. We're in the critical infrastructure space. Utilities, power generation, um, water systems, nuclear power plants, you name it, marine aviation, anything that's considered critical infrastructure. Um, and uh, prior to that, I was a CISO for, for, for many, many years. Um, most recently, a CISO at a Peter Thiel-backed startup that unfortunately didn't make it past its Series A. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, it was one of the best experiences. I think you know, in 13 months, we broke barriers and did a whole bunch of stuff that I thought was really, really cool, unfortunately. You know, sometimes you do cool stuff and you can't take it over the finish line. And that was one of those. So, um, and, and it was fun, but I've been in, in startup and fintech and, and, and financial services pretty much my whole career in security. And uh, now I'm in the utilities. I've made the, uh, the vertical jump, which is about as scary as starting a career in cyber. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, it's a completely different world, isn't it? Being over in the utilities. It's, it's, here's the thing. It's easier to defend money than it is power. And I don't yeah. think people understand that. I love right? the way you said that. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very, there's inherent challenges simply because our critical infrastructure is literally the epitome of old technology with new technology, with one guy who has the keys to everything, literally. And then how disjointed and organizationally dysfunctional the power industry really is mm. right so the government and their attempt to you know because we all know that regulation stops security breaches right you guys got that memo right <laughs> oh yeah so, you write a policy and it totally uh, solves everything <laughs> one government policy solves all of the problems you guys all must do security that's it we should never have another breach in the history of all things yeah mankind because government solves all of our problems i don't even know so, where my paychecks come from it's so easy <laughs> so, so, so government has made it so that power companies, simply because they're predominantly a monopoly, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're regional players, right? That, that provide electricity. The cost, the barrier to entry is very expensive. The, 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 the landscape. So the power generator is a separate company from the power transporter, which is a separate company from the power delivery, which is a separate company. Mm -hmm. And they're not allowed to interact. Only on sp the regulation even dictates how and what they're allowed to interact on. Wow. Um, so what we've done is we've made it so complex for these people to do business and that's not on them. They don't want to be disjointed. They don't want to be this way, but you know, people look for government to solve problems. That's what you get. Interesting. <laughs> well, uh, we could do a whole episode just on this, of course, and maybe we should, but today <laughs> we're here to talk about passwordless authentication yes, we are. and and Jason, uh, why? Like, what, what's this all about? Yeah, so, you know, we mentioned a couple episodes ago when we talked all about multi-factor authentication. We said, you know, and multi-factor authentication was there to help solve the password issue, and that's actually going to go away as passwordless authentication becomes more and more prevalent. There's already some organizations that are using it, but not everybody. And so, as we all know, we've all been using passwords for decades and decades and decades. It's the oldest authentication we've used in a computer system. You log in with your username and your password, and you can get in. The problem is, it's just one factor. And so if somebody can steal your password or crack your password, they're able to break into your systems, right? And so that becomes the problem. And we've seen uh, estimates from Microsoft that almost 80% of the security breaches are due to weak passwords. That's how most people are breaking in. And so we know there needs to be a better solution. The stopgap was to use these uh, password managers with these long, complex, you know, 20-character passwords, uppercase, lowercase, special characters, et cetera. And then we move into multi-factor, which gives you now two factors, such as a one-time text code plus mm -hmm. your password. Um, but that's still not good enough. And really, at the end of the day, we want to be able to get rid of passwords completely because when we do, that's going to give us a much, much more secure system instead of having all these legacy systems that we're still supporting. And so that's really what we're focused on in this episode is, you know, what is passwordless authentication today look like and what it's going to look like over the next two to three years because there is huge movements in this space. Uh, in fact, last year, Google... Apple and Microsoft all banded together as part of the FIDO Alliance. And they said, hey, we're going to come up with passwordless authentication that works regardless of whether you're on Windows, Linux, or Mac, regardless of whether you're using Edge or Chrome or Safari. We want this to work across everybody. This isn't a mm -hmm. Google problem or an Apple problem or a Microsoft problem. This is an industry problem. 
And so that's where we're starting to get with passwordless authentication. So that's kind of the, the reason we're talking okay. about it. And, and you know, if we want to define passwordless authentication, really it's just a type of authentication that eliminates the need for a password. And there's lots of different ways you can do this. Right? One of these self-documenting <laughs> things, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like what's some of the ways you've seen passwordless authentication, uh, Kip and James? I guess I'll start with Kip. Okay, well, uh, I, I'll just first admit to the fact that uh, as an, as a, as a, I, I'm feeling like a curmudgeon because <clears throat> I've, got, I've got my password game so wired and oiled that I'm actually being thrown off by passwordless. Like uh, the first real significant encounter I had with it was Discord. So, and, and I, I swear to God, I must have like fumbled my authentication attempts, my passwordless authentication attempts, probably like six times in a row because it was a completely different paradigm and I didn't know what the hell they were trying to do. I'm like, let me just put my password in, would you please? You know, <laughs> and, I, and it, was, it, was, it was just mayhem on my desktop trying to figure it out. So my introduction to this was not good. And, uh, you know, and I'm just like, damn it, got this all figured out. And now you want to actually throw, for me, you're actually adding friction into my workflow because I've got to either scan a QR code or I've got to like uh, retrieve a, an OTP out of a text message or an email. And that slows me down. So I'm not a big fan right now. Maybe somebody <laughs> will change my mind, but that's where I'm at. What about you, James? Yeah, so 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 for me, it was probably about four years ago when I started using StreamYard. StreamYard doesn't use passwords. They use... Like do they a, do the magic link where they send you the one-time login link to your email? It's one-time code to your email. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, right. That now, most users never log out of StreamYard. Now, that's a whole other issue, right? <laughs> so... You know, I've done that. I've implemented a passwordless solution in my last in my last position as the CISO over at, over over at Glorify. We launched our application fully fully passwordless, and so you know, I've I, I fought the internal battle where marketing people were like, people want to create passwords. Um, to to the day we launched, where customers were uh, sending messages. Right, going like, how come I can't use it? I'm not going to give you my biometric data, and we're like, all right, we've got we've got to put some you know FAQs out there around what what passwordless really means for people and why it's probably a lot more secure than whatever password you come up with. And 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 Jason, just to kind of go back to your passwords, passwords were used back in Prohibition, right? When you yep. wanted to go to a bar, speakeasies during Prohibition <laughs> and speakeasies, you had to say a password. So if you knew the password was pineapples and you said pineapples, you'd get in. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a right. great point. I mean, passwords are, aren't a technology thing. We've been using them for centuries, right? right? I mean, they've used that as, you know, knock, knock, knock. What's the secret code to get in the, into the castle, yeah. right? Um, well, who goes there? <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, it's I, Jason. <laughs> yeah. If you ever were in scouts and you went on a camping trip and you had to do a midnight duty, right? Yep. You had a password. That's how you recognize if someone was a friend or an enemy, right? I mean, it's passwords have been around forever somehow we've translated it onto the internet and somehow we think that's the right solution for the internet and and for user access uh, but you know i think we're in a different world and yeah you know you both brought up good points on some examples of passwordless right kip was talking about qr codes so for example if you use whatsapp and you want to use it on your desktop when you log into whatsapp.com and you try to log in it says well pull out your phone go into your WhatsApp on your phone, scan this QR code, and that's what logs you into the web version on your computer. Right. So that's one way of doing passwordless. Another way is what James was talking about, where you may be using, as you said, your marketing team at the bank was like, we don't want to give our biometric data. Well, that's another way people do it is you can use eyeballs and fingerprints and face scans and all that, and that's another passwordless authentication. We talked about that back with multi-factor. If you add that with a password, now you've got two factors, and that's okay. But you don't need two factors. You can use a single factor. Some of the first uh, passwordless authentication I saw was the old RSA key fobs. Yep. We now use those for two-factor authentication, but when they first came out, people were using that as an individual identifier. I just type in mm. JSON and my my 30-second code that changes every time, and that was a rotating passwordless authentication. I had to memorize anything. I just had to have that, that key card. I've also seen applications where it's a USB thumb drive, and on that thumb drive is a digital certificate. And if you don't plug that into your computer... You're, you can't access the website because it's checking for that digital cert, and that's not a password, it's a physical key. And that's more along what Google, Apple, and Microsoft are trying to do now by creating, everybody's going to be using their smartphones as their passwordless authentication. And there is essentially, just like we use uh, you know, TPM modules in our desktops, there's embedded digital secret keys inside your phone, 
and you'd be able to use that as your authentication mechanism in. So if I wanted to log into the new website, I would do that. It would say, great, you're Jason. Go pick up your smart device you've registered with the site and use your face scan or your fingerprint or your PIN number or whatever it is you normally do to log into your phone. But the phone itself is the key, not the biometrics you're using to validate the phone. And that's really the way they're moving with this new passwordless authentication as we start moving forward. Um, the other one I've seen a lot is Magic Links is what they call it, where I use that on my old website at, at one point. <laughs> If you want to be able can't to see this, in. but James is like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, like, well, I like because it. I think we're talking about all these different solutions. Yep. But we're, we're missing the elephant in the room. Yep. Go so, ahead, James. So the elephant in the room is user experience. Yes. Mm. Like Kip said, you're throwing me off my game. You're creating friction in the way I interact and I'm used to interact with technology. And so. When you think of passwordless authentication, you've brought up a bunch of methods, but let's, let's be very, very honest, right? If I told you how many, how many organizations today and Kip, you're, you're, you're a CISO and, and Jason, uh -huh. you've been in leadership positions, you know, this, Oh yeah. <laughs> what's one of the first things we do on all corporate laptops, disable USB ports. Yep. Right. We disable well, you should. If you, if you haven't, you definitely should. <laughs> you haven't done it. You should. <laughs> If, if, if you're doing it, then by, by, by default, your security keys and USB devices become moot because that board is essentially there for decoration at this point, mm -hmm. right? It, it has zero value outside of maybe potentially powering a USB mouse, right? Like a wireless mouse through Bluetooth. That's mm -hmm. it. It's all it's going to do. So, so, and, and so the RSA keys, as wonderful as they are, right? I remember I, I, when I was in banking, we used to give our customers for international wire transfers, they used to walk around with RSA keys. Like every person who opened a bank account who wanted to do international wire transfers had a bank key. That's the code we authenticated that you were the person doing wire transfer. Well, that's great. But you know how many times customers called to say, well, I'm in Belgium and I forgot my, <laughs> oh, my USB, but I need to make this wire transfer. I got to pay a bill. I got to yep. get a deal closed. And so we security people, and I mean, we, all of us on this call included, I think everyone listening, everyone watching, everyone, 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 we've all been guilty of, um, prioritizing security over really thinking through a good customer experience and a good user experience that doesn't create shadow solutions. Oh right? yeah. Working around controls. Yep. Yep. Cause that's what people are the best at. You're going to make me do a QR code every time WhatsApp. I don't want to do that. Let me find a workaround. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's shadow IT, right? And that's false sense of security for people like us, right? Because we think we have the most secure system in the world. We designed it ourselves. We have no idea that everybody's working around our secure system and getting things done on other systems that would curl our hair if we knew what was really going on out there and we've done it to ourselves. Well, there, there's two parts of that as well that I see. So, uh, you know, WhatsApp is a great example with the QR code. Um, I want to be able to use WhatsApp on my desktop, but honestly, I don't want to have to pull up my phone every time I want to log in. So if I were mm -hmm. to pull up my phone, I'm just going to use my phone to talk on WhatsApp and I'm not going to use the web console. A and so I've used other things like Slack or Discord or Facebook Messenger instead of WhatsApp because I can't get it on my desktop in an easy to use manner. Uh, alternatively, we talked about magic links, which we used to use for our site, and it was a very secure solution to use a magic link. The problem is I just offloaded the security from my own system to somebody else's because, Kip, if you sign up for my site with, you know, kip at gmail.com mm -hmm. and I use that and I send you the link to your Gmail, well, that's fine. But if you have a crappy password on Gmail or somebody hacks your Gmail account, they now have access to my site too. And so, you know, you're now trusting that, that email right. as, a, as a secure source. And we all know email is not that secure. Um, because they're relying on usernames and passwords just like we were, right? Um, and so, yeah. you know, when and we talk especially about most personal emails don't have MFA. Exactly, right? right? And so when you, we talk about that stuff, it's like, yeah, Magic Link's great as long as the email's secure, but if the email's not secure, then the Magic Link's no, no longer secure either, right? And I see a lot of people with, you mentioned earlier, fit Kip, the MFA two-factor by the code goes to your email. Again, that's really the weakest link right now. And if you don't protect yeah. your personal email or your corporate email, then all these two-factor authentications that are sending things through a Google voice text number or an email number uh, for authentication are all no longer multi-factor because they're still just protected by username and password. So, so when you think of MFA, and, and I know you guys did an episode on MFA, right? Yeah. Hacking MFA, SMS, not just, well, I don't want to talk about hacking MFA. I just want to say how you implement MFA 
matters just as much as what kind of MFA you, you choose. Yeah. Right? And in case you're a T-Mobile customer and you've been part of the 727 breaches they've had in the last five years, <laughs> right? I actually uh, am. So you're talking to me. <laughs> right? So, so, so SIM swapping attacks have been a catalyst. That's what they hacked T-Mobile for, for SIM swapping accounts. Yep. Right? And so I know your email because we know how threat actors operate. They now they're, it, it's not a guy in the basement wearing a hoodie. It's an organization where people walk into an office yeah. somewhere in Eastern Europe or, or, or Asia, or even in the United States and, and, and Latin America. And they go into the office. They've got a team that's saying, we've got all these usernames, all these passwords. We've validated that these work. Now go get whatever MFA they're using. Oh, they're using T-Mobile. Great. Let's try to do a SIM swap attack on T-Mobile. Now we've got access. Now we've got persistence. Now we're moving laterally in your network. And, you know, the rest is a headline on, you know, my podcast or yours with the mm -hmm. story of don't be these guys. Right. So the, the idea that, you know, one factor or two factor or three factors, it's about implementation. And when you talk about passwordless authentication, implementation is key. Yep. Right. So tell you us know, some more about that, James. I'm, Cause you, I don't have any experience implementing I've, passwordless. I've, yeah. You do. I would mm -hmm. love to hear more from you about, you know, what, what, what exactly in the implementation is so crucial to get correct. So, so there's a lot of passwordless kind of new age identity solutions for this kind of stuff. They call them buzzwords that should raise everyone's ears red is like zero mm -hmm. trust or, you know, uh, no passwords needed and whatnot. Well, that's all great. Some of them are just a passwordless solution that ties into your active directory. So if you're whatever active directory you're using, and some companies have their own internal active directory, and they're just integrating a passwordless solution to replace the password field. Well, if you've got inherent challenges with how you manage user data, then that implementation predominantly done through APIs is just going to be a colossal failure because you're really not defending tokens. And at the end of the day, no matter what you're using in passwordless, all that's being generated is an identity token that's being used across all the different platforms that you're using it to access. So in, in a business setting, right? If, if you're doing it for employees and let's say you're doing it on a single sign on type of solution and drop names for the sake of, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to seem like we're endorsing anyone. Um, right. You go through a single sign on, uh, process. Well, that token now is essentially the signature to get you into every single application, right? So bad implementation, I can get that token and take it out. So for, for us, when we were shopping, looking and architecting our passwordless solution, we knew we weren't going to build an internal active directory. We knew we were going mm. outside to an active directory. Now at the time, this was 2021. So at the time, right, ever, no one had an active directory with passwordless. So you had to go find an active directory partner. Then you had to go out and build an integration to passwordless mm. today. You know, we're in May of 2023. That's a very, very different one. Um, those have all come together. Now the implementation is, is, is critical when it comes to user availability. So we, we opted at glorify at the time we opted to use, um, device-based authentication. Mm. So we knew that 95% of our users were all coming from mobile. We said, we're going to just require everyone to download our app and set up their account through our mobile app. You weren't, weren't going to be able to open an account on, on our web app, right? So kind of taking the WhatsApp QR code type of example, mm -hmm. we just weren't going to allow it at the very beginning. And, and the reason for it was because technology wasn't there yet. Technology wasn't there to cost, to get it, to work, um, on a, on a laptop and then back to mobile was more inconvenient than convenient for the user. Mm. And we cared a lot about user testing. So we cared a lot about user feedback. So as we were implementing this in every step of the way, we actually did a B user testing and not internal. We actually went external. We brought in a control group of our target customers. We sat them down. We put the uh, test app on their phones and we had them go through it and we hmm. watched and we commented and, and, and we went through that. Um, 
to, to, to the credit of the glorified leadership team at the time, you know, I mean, we're, we're bankrupt now. We don't, ex- they don't exist anymore. <laughs> but, but, you know, some would argue that you guys doing this testing could have led to that. I would, I would beg to defer. I think it's why we had unbelievable success uh, in, in the short time we were alive. But nonetheless, um, you know, we did user testing and users reacted well to it. Now, implementing it, and kind of taking it from a from a perspective of how do you get it across multiple platforms and then how do you get it across all your different backend um, solution providers that are trying to pull the identity of a customer to present the information that that customer needs to see mm-hmm. that's challenge number two so you've got the kind of active directory to passwordless challenge which today is predominantly solved because almost every single vendor in this space realizes they've got to have an active directory solution. Our second challenge was, all right, I've got seven different vendors that support my banking operations. And every single one gives me a different piece of data that come together, provides a dashboard for my customer. ACH is a different provider from your account balance, which is very different from your, the list of all your transactions. All of those are very different. They come Hmm. from different sources. And so I've got to authenticate you. And some of those systems, uh, Kip and Jason are so old, they're like, well, yep. we use SAML 2.0 and your technology is OIDC. <laughs> so now you're literally trying to build bridges to complement all tech to the new tech. Yep. Yeah. You basically have to create all the middleware to be able to do the translations. <laughs> right. And that's what right. we did. We had to create a bunch of middleware and then we had to pen test it. We had to run it through extensive testing, regression testing, load balance testing, because you got to make sure it can handle Right. So I think what happens when hundred thousand people want to go in and do X and simultaneously for whatever reason. Right? Yeah. Well, I think the other, the other problem, you know, you guys chose to use the, the, the mobile phone as the device. And I hear that's exactly what Google and Apple and Microsoft are, are leaning towards is this is the answer to everything. It will let you log into everything. Well, the one challenging you talked about knowing your users is I came from the government space and I worked right. in a lot of places that these are not allowed in the building. I had right. to leave this in the car. And back in 2020, 2021, when we all decided to start shifting to Microsoft Teams in the government and to authenticate and log into Teams the first time, you had to get a one-time code and it was only good for five minutes. So I remember being in the basement no. of my skiff, trying to log in on my unclassified machine to be able to do Teams. And I would have to run up the stairs, up the <laughs> elevator, three flights, get my phone from the locker, get outside, get to a place where I can get signal get the code and then run back downstairs oh, no. so I can authenticate myself. And I had to do that like five times until I made it in that, you know, hundred yard dash in that five minutes, because the way that the system was done and, you know, with passwordless authentication going to using a, a, a digital cert that's only on this phone, I would have to have the phone in the room with the computer. And that doesn't work for everybody because if you're in a power plant and you're in the basement of a power plant, you may not have cell phone signal. You may not have Wi-Fi. If you work in a, in a government top secret facility, you're not allowed to have these in there. And so all of those become challenges that we then have to say, well, we're still going to support passwords for those folks, or we're going to have this other physical key that gets a, a satellite. You're going to have the again, RSA the basement. key. That, but that doesn't even work in, in some places. It won't work if you're in a basement, right? Because it's not getting the signal with the GPS satellite to make sure it's on time and all those things. So these are all implementations that like, you're right. For your users, like 90% of our users are mobile. Great. If you're only going to support mobile users, well, you just told the other 10%, we don't want your business, right? Well, um, I, I, or you're going to find a way, right? <laughs> so what, what we did, just, just to be very clear, what we ended up doing was we launched with the mobile app solution only. Within two weeks after we launched, we had the web app ready to go. And our web app was very simple. It was the WhatsApp solution. Yep. Right, Jason? You went in, you put in your email address, you got a QR code, you had to scan it on your phone. It took you to our mobile app, which then authenticated, kicked off the token to the web app and said, this is Jason trying to log in. Now we leverage device-based biometrics and this goes to your Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Android type of conversation. You had to have some level of security on your device for this to work. If you had an iPhone and and, and you didn't use anything to log in, you couldn't open an account. Mm. That was another challenge we had, right, with user adoption. And some people had old devices where they had a four digit passcode, right? Yep. Like if you used an old iPhone six or seven, those didn't mm-hmm. have the six digit, they had the four, the four digit one. And yep. then there was the, then there was the confusion, the confusion around biometrics. So yep. 
everyone, when you, Apple doesn't even know your biometric data as far as we know. And I say that as far as we know, because Apple claims that they don't store any of the biometric data anywhere in their environment. It's stored directly on your phone. When you wipe your phone, the biometric data is wiped as well. There's, there's some truth to that because every time I've gone to DEF CON or Black Hat and we've tried to kind of take advantage of that and we, we've wiped phones clean and then tried to redo the biometrics, you've always had to redo your biometrics. Mm. So as of right now, I haven't seen anyone break that method or prove Apple wrong. Right. So when you're leveraging those biometrics, there's an education with the average consumer or average employee, by the way. I go, well, I don't want to give you my fingerprint. I don't want to give you my facial ID. And you're like, you're not. We're just leveraging that tech in your phone. <laughs> yep. It's hard to, it's it's hard to know. That you are. It's but hard to know the difference. People don't yeah, know the difference. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. Well, what about YubiKeys or Titan security keys or something like that? You know, a Fido Alliance, you know, actual, you know, thing that you can either plug in uh, or, you know, if you've, if you've done the disabled USB port, uh, you know, maneuver that James recommended, maybe a near field communication or something like that. Uh, what did you find with, with those keys that uh, James, did you, did you consider letting people use those? No. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, one, cause I always blocked USB ports. Number two, I yep. wanted no near field technology. When we did a threat assessment around near field technology in a distributed workforce, uh -huh. or even in customers, when you're talking about access to your bank, mm -hmm. think of how many people sit at Starbucks mm -hmm. and, and Kip and Jason next time we're in person. Yep. Let's go sit at a Starbucks together or any <laughs> okay. let's see how many people access their bank account, leave it open and go grab a muffin and come back. Yep. Most expensive muffin they've ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing, you know, Kip, you had mentioned the, the UB keys and the hardware tokens by yeah. using the USB thumb drive. The other challenge with that is the cost associated with it, right? Sure. Everybody already has a phone pretty much. Um, yep. But if I have to issue one of those smart keys to every every customer, that's one, two, three dollars per per thing, right? And and that starts adding up, right? And everybody needs two because you need a backup. Because what if you lose yep. your primary? Or so, for instance, you and I have a company together, Kip. We both need a key, so that's two customers, even though we're one account. And so we just double James's cost, right? right. And if we're not allowing USBs, then that becomes a problem as well, right? So, so there's a lot of problems with those USB keys, and the biggest mm -hmm. one is distribution, which is why they've gone to these software solutions. I mean, nowadays you can do eSIMs. I can, as soon as I get overseas, I turn on my phone, and I can import an eSIM, and I now have local phone service. Um, because I don't have to go and get that physical chip anymore. Right. And the same thing with the USB drives. So that's why I think a lot of people have moved away from those type of uh, uh, form factors, and they're mm -hmm. moving more towards the phone being the solution for everything. What do you think, James? So, agreed. Um, I agree with what Jason said. I'll, I'll add one thing to it. Think you're, we, we talked about the customer. Let's talk internal. Your mm -hmm. CEO is on a trip. He forgot his fob. He can't access anything. So now you're the CISO, you're getting the phone call because it's not help desk isn't getting that call, right? You are. <laughs> or they handed it off to you immediately. Right? I've been that IT director at three in the morning getting those calls when the guy's right. back in America and I'm sitting in Europe and I'm like, uh, yeah, right. I'm sleeping, and, buddy. And, and you're like, our CEO is now in Germany or, or London in business and you're in Atlanta or Florida or Chicago going, well, we'll overnight him something. Mm. Now, what do you think the first order of business is once he gets back? Um, I want to have a meeting with James. All right, James, come on in. How is this good? How <laughs> is this going to support our employees? Because now this cost us a ton of money because I had to go issue his account a new one yep. or disable, meaning reduce the security on the CEO's account to allow him to log in without that while he's overseas in an un completely uncontrolled environment, right? Control the network. You don't control anything. The only thing you control is that endpoint at that device. And so that's why identity matters so much. And now you've put all your guards down on what got is it. the number one target of your organization. Got it. Got it. In got a foreign right. land. Right. All right. That's why I so think most solutions are, 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 unfortunately, they're such a unique use case. They go to Jason's use case. You work for the government. You're in a skiff. We're going to give you all a USB. The USB probably doesn't even leave the skiff, right? It stays in the skiff, probably in your locker at the skiff. You know, it never leaves the facility. So it never has any risk of leaking out. And you, you walk in, you plug it in, identifies who's, who you are, and you go about your day. But in the average day-to-day -day distributed workforce 
distributed customer base. They're just not a viable solution. I don't see a future for them. By the way, we, we dropped a couple of pieces of jargon on you in case you didn't know. Uh, James said FOB and he said skiff. Now, a FOB is just, you know, a jargon for like a little dongle that you hold in your hands, like a secure ID or something like that, or one of these uh, Yuba keys or Titan keys or whatever, right? You just call those FOBs. And then a skiff is like a vault that you work in, right, Jason? Yeah, so a skiff is a sensitive compartmental information facility. And so if you work for the government and you are in some type of a top secret environment, for instance, I used to work at the agency at the NSA up in Maryland, uh, the entire building is a skiff for the most part. And when you go in, there's control points, there's guards, they make sure there's no cell phones, no beepers, no nothing, no Wi-Fi is enabled, all that stuff. Anything that comes in or out of the building is subject to search and all that stuff because essentially it's a big vault. And there yep. is wireless emanations that can't go in, wireless emanations can't go out. And so again, you know, the, the big problem I see with passwordless in the future, I think for the average consumer, passwordless is going to be the thing that everyone's going to use. And we're going to start seeing that when you go to log into Facebook, it's going to just ping you on your phone and you're going to say, yes, I approve, right? Everything's going to be controlled by your phone, except for those use cases that can't do that. And that's a little thing that actually scares me a little bit, especially for our government workers and our top secret cleared people who are working these type of skiff facilities, or you're overseas and you forgot your phone, right? Because you're not going to bring it when you go on a trip to Beijing, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, great example, right? Your burn. Uh, exactly, because you know that that phone is going to be tampered with, right? I'm and so, Motorola Razor. Exactly, <laughs> the old, the old, the old uh, you know, nine button, no smartphone at all, right? Um, <laughs> and when you deal with this kind of stuff, right, um, you're either not going to be able to access it because you don't have your phone with you, or your phone now becomes more valuable for people to steal. And this was a big problem, you know, 10 years ago, everyone was stealing smartphones because you could resell them on eBay, right? Well, now people are going to be stealing smartphones because they can get into your bank accounts. They can get into your, your, um, you know, your brokerage accounts. They can get into all your social medias and then con your friends and all that. And if this is now the key to open every single website that is in my life, um, this now becomes extremely valuable and you have to really protect it. And that's one of the things that you have to think about as far as we start thinking about these implica impl implications of using password lists. Just like we said before with the magic links, magic links seem great. I'm not storing any passwords as a service provider. I'm just sending it to your email. But if your email is insecure, well, then you can get into my site. And the same thing is going to end up happening with these phones being the key to everything. Because if there's a hardware key inside this phone that unlocks everything, then you need this hardware key and you're going to steal but it. This is, but now we're going to go a step further, right? Let's give people a little bit of insight because I don't want it, I don't want it to be doom and gloom. Yep. Okay. On the cyber path, right? Our, our listeners are people who want a career in security. They want to be able to solve these problems. And so this gets to the next level of what passwordless really means. What's the most annoying thing that's ever happened? In, and all of us are old school here. So, <laughs> you're, you know, if you remember, you'd have a 15 or 20 uh, character password. You're trying to work on X. You hit a screen and it's making you reauthenticate. Yep. To do action A. And now all of a sudden you've got to re-enter your password. You've got to put in your multi-factor again. Very irritating, very annoying. Agreed? Yep. Yeah, it happens to me all the time when I'm going into my credit card processor to refund a student or something like that. Yep. <laughs> so, so now with passwordless, though, that becomes seamless. With passwordless, now that becomes really, really, I don't want to say seamless, but it becomes turn on your phone, make sure you're that person. Now, with modern technology, what you're talking about on your phone, like, for example, what we did, we had, we didn't just have passwordless device-based biometrics. We had user behavior analytics uh, backing that up. We had device IMEI versions. Um, you know, we were able to set policies that says if the phone's jailbroken, it can get access. We had policies that said that if the phone goes up or down in version, re-authenticate the user twice. Um, one of the things we were implementing before, unfortunately, before we went out of business was the uh, photo ID aspect of it. So we want you to authenticate, take a selfie, with your thumb up and then we would scan that selfie and we were looking, um, you know, you opened an account in Jacksonville, Florida, but now the selfie and, and the image in the background and the colors is at night. Well, it's 2 PM in Jacksonville. You should be in sunlight. This is coming off. You're, you're in a dark room. That doesn't make any sense. Hmm. We're going to go ahead and pause that account and ask for more validation and verification of the user, right? And so you start to create these use cases over time that really help enhance passwordless, right? 
and and those are going to be really really critical to this to this adoption and to what you're talking about where your phone becomes your priority because if your phone gets stolen and now my you you know i'm not going to say what hand i am but let's say i'm right-handed right let's just say for the sake of this example right or left-handed doesn't matter and that's how i hold my phone user behavior analytics realizes that they're able to crack my phone but you're using the other hand so user behavior analytics should automatically trigger an alert to re-authenticate well, now you're starting to talk about zero trust, I think, right? Aren't we starting to veer into zero trust territory? You know, I hate that word so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, don't, I, don't I, hate I the hate word, it. hate the game. I, I, <laughs> no, I hate the word. I love the game of zero trust. I love the game of zero trust. I hate the marketing around it. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to let the marketers ruin my ride, though. I mean, I get you. I'm sick of how marketers are always taking the latest buzzword and then claiming that their product has it or is it and it. And yesterday it, it didn't and it wasn't, and it's no different today. Well, you're seeing so that in real time face. right now with, with AI and ChatGPT. Every software program I use in every web app now says, now integrate with ChatGPT. And I look and I'm like, all you did was an API call. It didn't make your product any better. But now you have ChatGPT, right? So now, now they, can, they can say, yes, we're AI, right? Right. Uh, and right there's there's right. a lot of that that goes on in the zero yeah, trust world. I totally get that. But that's why I steer people towards either the NIST uh, publication on what zero trust actually is, or there's actually uh, a good a good book out there that's uh, very vendor agnostic. So I don't I don't really care what the vendors are saying right now. But James, my only point is that it just the way you described the authentication experience, it sort of it reminded me of this idea of I'm not going to trust you. Uh, uh, based yeah, you know, say it, say it a different way. I'm only going to trust you. If you can really prove that you are who you say you are, and if you're in a place that you're not normally at, or you're presenting yourself in a way you don't normally present, then I'm going to ask for more stuff. I'm going to give you the caveat to all of this. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm about to kill password list in a second. Uh -oh. here's, the <laughs> here's the caveat. If you, for example, have a twin, your twin can unlock your phone and use it. No questions asked. You're identical, right? Additionally, if you get rid of your face ID, someone gets their hands on your phone, they put their face ID, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google are none the wiser to realize that the person changed. Okay. So relying on device-based biometrics only is only as good as how good the user is, which is no different than requiring someone to make a 14 character password and they just put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Yep. And that's their password. Okay. And, and I think that's the caveat in passwordless. That's the, that's, that's where there's always that human factor that Jason talked about very early on. 80% of breaches are human related password or the only difference between password and passwordless is the sophistication of the attack, meaning credentials no longer matter. But if I'm able, if you leave your authentication API unsecured, unmonitored, right? And I'm able to go in and steal those tokens on those API calls. That's no different than stealing your password. And if you don't think that's coming, Quote me here today, May 2023, <laughs> at some point in the next 12 to 18 months, someone's going to have their entire API gateway cracked wide open with all of these tokens there. And this isn't as simple as pushing out a master password reset through your vendor. Right. Yep. Right. But you really got, you really learned all the ins and outs of this through you, the, that experience. That's um, fantastic. We were the first financial institution in the country to do this. We were the second in the world to do it. Uh, there was another financial institution in the UK that did it before us. And I was able to speak to their team and we did a lot of homework. I had a lot of smart people working with me, right? I was not this smart when this started. Right. Um, you know, I'd be, I'd, you know, a lot of smart people kind of bring this to our attention and, and, and help and work through a lot of these problems. And when you're looking at solutions, you got a threat model. You got to understand what are the risks and how do you mitigate some of those risks? And can you mitigate the risk? Yeah. And, and you know, when, when I think about passwordless, 
I don't think it is the end all be all 100% going to solve every, every world problem we have. Um, but I will tell you that as I've looked into it, um, and done a technical deep dive, it is better than what we currently have with password. Uh, and so we're eliminating one of the major sources of breaches, but there are a lot of things that we have to think about, right? In general, passwordless is more secure. It is a more convenient thing and it does give a better user experience, but there's also a lot of challenges that we have to think about, such as what if I'm in a place where I can't have my phone? What if I can't have that key? Um, what if the device gets stolen? How do I get all those websites to realize that this is no longer the phone and now my new Android is instead of this iPhone? All those are things that we're going to have to figure out as a community as we start yeah. working through passwordless. But the reason we wanted to bring this topic to our audience and, and bring James on was because we know this is coming, right? It, it, this is the direction yep. the industry is heading. Um, and so you got to get smart on it because in 23, you're going to see more and more of it. By 24, it's going to be pretty widespread. And by 25, it should be, in theory, replacing passwords is what they're saying. Now, every time I say future things like that, I always hold my fingers because I remember back in <laughs> 1995, 1996, IPv6 was coming and no one was ever going to use IPv4 again. And here we are in 2023 and I still teach IPv4 on a daily basis to students yeah. because it is still the primary thing we're using. So yes, people think passwordless is going to take over. I think there's going to be a lot of holdouts and there's still going to be a lot of passwords out there. Well, but the more we can use it, the better it's going to be for us security-wise. James? So, so, so let's give your audience the real issue why you're probably right on the prediction that it's probably not going to happen in 2025. <laughs> Go for it. Cost. Yep. Cost right. for who? Cost for a company to transition from password uh, to passwordless. Although you're that's talking it. about changing your entire active directory. You're talking yeah. about updating your policies. You're talking about implementing yep. new tech. You're talking about, and, and, and in an interconnected world that we live in like today, where you're on multi-cloud environments with SaaS mm -hmm. providers all over your environment, that's yeah. not an easy future. We were able to do it because we were new. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> yeah, new but, but startups it, and new companies should absolutely do this. But isn't there a business company. case to be made that, you, that you're going to get rid of all the password reset? Uh, support costs? Nope. There's no. You, you're you're keeping those same people to do uh, a biometric reset. Mm. And um, I, I got a nose job, and now my phone doesn't recognize me. Um, or right? inject. I have my it, it, ears tucked in. You think yeah. I'm kidding? In 45 days, I've seen and heard it all. Oh but, wow! And, and Kip, I think the other thing is most password resets aren't done by humans anymore anyway. But almost all of them have been completely automated and shift left. That's so there is there's no cost to that, right? Um, but but there are some other trailing pro problems. Sending the problem. email through whoever, right? That yeah. There, there's you know, 10 cents per million, right? Yeah, <laughs> on Amazon. Whatever <laughs> that cost is. That's not the issue, though. I think there's bigger, there, there's bigger challenges there, um, Kip. Uh, mm -hmm. That on passwordless are are going to require more support. There's consumer education, and someone's going to have to go out and do it. Um, at Glorify, I remember I had to do a video once a week that went on our all of our social media about why passwordless was better and what it meant. Like we don't store your biometrics. We're only leveraging your phone based authentication. Right. So you can use a passcode if you don't want your biometrics. You can have it default to your passcode. Yeah. Man, I, the, the, the thing that you said today that's going to stick with me for the longest, I don't know why, is when you said early in the, in the episode that the marketing people claimed that, uh, that, your, that your customers love to create passwords. I think that's <laughs> just the, that was like well, that's the money quote from this it, episode. <laughs> but but it, the thing about it is our, our marketing team were very smart people. This went back and forth, by the way, up until about two weeks before we launched, right? Yeah. Um, right. where we were, I remember, um, you know, we were sitting at our founders back porch and in, in, in Dallas, Texas, and it was an all exec meeting and the product manager and the marketing people kind of came in ready to go. We don't want to go with password list. There's too many caveats. And I stood on my, my back to feet and I had our founders backing at the time and almost everyone else going like password list is the way to go. <laughs> well, I think the big key is what James said there right before we went into that, right? And it's that if you're a new company and you're building something, for instance, I am currently working on three projects at the same time, one for Dion training and two for other new companies I've started. 
And we are building those serverless, cloud-first, function-as-a-service, passwordless, all that stuff, because we are new and we can do it. But if I was you know, looking at CompTIA or PeopleSert, which are big, huge certification companies with decades of experience, it's going to take them longer to do that because they have to retrofit all their old stuff and make it all work. Uh, I know CompTIA last year went to a single sign-on, and that, so they had one password instead of 17 passwords across their systems, and that was a huge migration for them, and it took them months and months and lots of money to do it. And now, to try to ask them to move to passwordless this year, it's probably not going to happen, right? They're going to be like, ah, we'll wait three or four years, get some value out of this SSO yeah. before we go passwordless. So I, I see a lot of bigger companies that are going to drag their feet. And so I don't think 2025, we're all going to be switched over. But I think the younger startups, like you know, um, you know, Glorify was a young startup of a bank that was trying to break the mold. Mercury is another example of a young startup of a bank that breaks the mold versus a Bank of America that's been around since the 50s, right? And so as we see that, you're going to see a lot of that change. So as we I'm summarize getting, this episode and, and kind of bring us yeah, to a conclusion here- Yeah, I'm getting twitchy here, because we're- yeah. We're like, we're, we're coming up on an hour and I, yeah. I, I don't know how many people have dropped already, but <laughs> this has been a fantastic conversation, James. Thank you so much for being nope, here. No one dropped. And if you did, let's find you, we'll hunt you, and we will make you listen to the very end. <laughs> and we'll take away all your passwords. Yep. So for those of you who are listening, I, I want to thank you again for sticking with us to the end. And I want to thank James Azar from the Cyber Hub podcast for joining us today to talk all about passwordless authentication from somebody who has done this implementation on the ground in a, a bank startup, which is a very highly regulated industry. So there's yep. a lot of hoops he had to jump through to really dive into this. Uh, if you want to hear more from James, you can always listen to his podcast over at the Cyber Hub podcast, which is yep. cyberhubpodcast.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for you for that, uh, as well as to James's LinkedIn if you want to connect with him there. Um, this was episode 97 here on the Your Cyberpath podcast. As always, you can go to yourcyberpath.com slash 97 to get all the episode notes and all the links that we mentioned in the episode. Um, so definitely check that out. And uh, when you're at yourcyberpath.com, you can also sign up for the mentor notes, which you'll get uh, every other week from Kip, which gives you great information on the, the labor market, uh, what things are changing, what things are happening in tech, and things that we don't talk about in the podcast, but it comes out every two weeks to be very relevant, very right on the fact of what's happening right then. So definitely sign up for that over at yourcyberpath.com. And other than that, uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having me on, Jason Kip. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyberpath. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.